all the rigidity of the various horrible forms that you and I deal with on the internet, on our phones, where like, you know, that, 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 that box where you enter um, your social security number will barf at you if you don't put the minus, um, you know, in between, in between digits or uh, the form that is four, four levels deep in Workday that you have to navigate to if you have to report your, like your paid time off. To me, um, a simple but powerful dream that large language models can make, uh, you know, can like make into reality is a much more fluid, flexible interface for um, just interacting with software systems. AI, a rapidly evolving field that has the potential to transform every aspect of our lives, from the way we work and communicate to the way we think about and solve problems. Join me as I chat with the movers and shakers in the industry about the latest advancements in AI and how they're changing the way we live, work, and interact with technology. My name is Kevin Rosenquist. Welcome to Zero Shot. My guest today, Sridhar Ramaswamy, the former senior vice president of ads and commerce at Google and co-founder of Neva, an AI company whose mission is to provide a user-centric search experience that respects user privacy and is free from advertisements. Welcome, Sridhar. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Kevin. Delighted to chat with you. So talk about your journey from your early academic background in engineering and computer science to working at Google and ultimately co-founding Neva. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I came to get a PhD at, uh, at Brown, uh, straight out of school in India, had a wonderful time there, uh, and then uh, went to work at uh, research labs in, uh, in New Jersey. I worked at the famous Bell Labs where the transistor was uh, uh, invented, uh, you know, like working next to giants in, mm -hmm. in computing. I moved over to the Valley about 20 years ago to join a small startup right at the height of the boom. Uh, you know, uh, the boom on the bus feel a little bit like what we are going through uh, right now. Yeah, I would say uh, so. I joined Google <laughs> early. Yeah, it was a crazy time. My company stock like went from a high of $330 to a low of $3. Um, wow. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah. So, I, I, you know, I would joke to people like, yes, you know, when I got to sell like like some stock close to the high, I was like, yes, I made a down payment for my house, but I also sold stock and bought pizza. Um, so, you know, it's like, yeah, uh, stuff happens. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, joined Google early as an engineer. Um, I used to run, uh, I was the director of engineering at Epiphany, but, you know, I like coding. Uh, so I, I got in as an engineer, uh, landed in a diamond mine, the search ads team. Uh, I didn't know. And I was sent to the search ads team because my first boss, uh, found the word database in my resume and said, aha, Sridhar should go work in ads because they have databases, I hear. That was like the AI that decided <laughs> yeah, yeah. my life. Um, uh, it was a rocket ship team. Uh, already as a five-year-old company, Google made $1.6 billion in advertising uh, in 03, and it just kept growing. I grew with the team, got to lead that team, um, and then all of the ads teams at Google uh, for, uh, for, for five, six years was on Larry's staff, um, and, uh, yeah, when I left, my team was, uh, 10, over 10,000 people, uh, making close to $120 billion of revenue. Um, and, you know, from team of one to team of 10,000, I, um, obviously like it was an enormously successful company, but lots of amazing mentors like Eric Schmidt and Alan Eustace and so many others and Larry that made my career possible. Um, I left because I'd been there for very long. 
I also felt like a unipolar world in which Google was the only search engine for the planet was inherently wrong. Like, don't get me wrong, I have nothing against Google. It's a wonderful company, it's wonderful people. Um, but, uh, you know, monopolies like dictatorships have a habit of just degrading over time. Um, and in some ways, like 2023 is predictable, where all of a sudden we all went from saying nothing can shake Google to, oh my God, search is going to be disrupted. And that's what happens when you have like one company uh, sort of at the top for very, very long. Uh, I didn't like the fact that ad load was really, really high and there was no way out of it. I also felt like innovation when it came to organic search was hampered because of the ads model. Uh, that's why we started Neva um, my, with my wonderful co-founder Vivek. Uh, we are a four-year-old company. We were started with uh, the mission to reimagine search. We focused on privacy, a lack of ads, because we wanted to be a user-centered product. We wanted to be paid by um, users. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of startup, as in life, is about seizing opportunity when you see it. The first three years were a struggle to build Neva. Uh, but early last year, we realized that there was a tsunami coming. Um, with uh, large language models. We dove into it headfirst. Um, and in the latter part of the year, we are able to launch uh, a pretty amazing experience, which is AI Answers. Um, uh, we saw ChatGPT, but we had been working on being better um, than ChatGPT in the sense of uh, we wanted our results to be um, backed by authentic sites. So we obsessively cite every sentence that we write. We wanted it to incorporate the latest, greatest real-time news as it was uh, as it was breaking, um, and so that is uh, that is our journey uh, from starting Neva with the dream of creating a better search product um, to an AI answer engine that, for more and more queries, simply gives you the answer that you're looking for. It backs it up with details, so you can click on a link and go to go to the site and get more information. We only provide like 50, 80 words, so it's not a complete answer for everything. Um, but as you've seen, like search is changing before our eyes. And I think uh, we are at these one of these pivotal moments in tech where we are going to go from we got links to we want answers. We want like the thing that we are looking for to be right in front of us. Yeah, it's a, you, you mentioned the tsunami that was coming. Did, did you did you expect it to be quite this large? No, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was just curious. These I, things are not predictable. Yeah, yeah these things are not predictable. Um, we could totally tell that um things, many, basically many common functions that we could tell that these were going to be very, very different um, because even playing with GPT-3 in the open AI playground, which is like, it's a little techie UI, you have to type, it's not as fluent as a chat interface. Mm -hmm. um, we could tell that it was something special. We could tell how search was getting changed. Um, but I think the genius of like chat GPT was to take these models put them into a, an interface that we are all familiar with. By now, we are used to chatting on SMS and on other things like that. Um, plus, I think the other thing um, which truly blew people's minds was the creativity of these models. Like, I don't know what kind of use cases you have, um, but, you know, now I will often do things like, oh, write me a poem about, uh, you know, this topic, start, make sure that you use, like, these words, um, you know, one of these models will write something, I'll tinker with it, and I'll be like, okay, let me change these lines, and this is how I want to change them. Can you make it better? Just like the sheer joy of mm -hmm. playing around with words. I mean, obviously, not everybody likes that, but I'm a word geek. You know, I like writing. I like reading. And so it's just been such amazing fun. Yeah, I've, I think that GPT-4 is is just ridiculously cool and and I love playing with it. I'm also a big fan of words. I'm a writer myself and and 
it, it is it's it's a lot of fun. I, and I can see though how people are threatened by it. Certainly, um, you know, like as a as a any creative is going to have like potential you know, concerns about it, whether it's taking their job, whether it's a lack of creativity or whatever. But I've kind of taken the approach, and I bet you have too, given what you do, is that using it as a tool to be better, to make myself a better writer, to make myself a maybe a different kind of writer, if that makes sense. 100%. And uh, you see this with, uh, you know, I don't know if you have watched uh, uh, like iPad artists, people like draw art oh, yeah, on an yeah. iPad. It's not like it's not like traditional painting, sure. um, but it's a different kind of magic that's happening in front of your eyes. Um, and when I watch them, I'm like, oh, my God, these people are amazing. Um, and so, you know, it is uh, uh, in that sense, I think it is a creativity boost. But there is an important but here. OK, so for the better part of the last two decades, let's face it, all us like, you know, I'll call us information geeks. That's what we do. Like we read and write for a living. Um, we have all been smug and cocky in the belief that like nothing could replace what we do. Yeah. You know, we are not like those poor factory workers. Those like automation was not going to threaten our jobs. Let's face it. We are, you know, looking at a very uncertain future. Um, yeah, that's like, that is threatening. Um, you know, and we know this, a lot of journalism is about things like breaking news. Um, if on the one, if on the one hand you have like a Twitter or next door for citizen reporting, and then some model that like is going to look at all of that and turn that into like a passable article, people can have real worries about like what's the future of journalism. I'm not down, like I'm not downplaying any of that. But again, I think the fact of the matter is that like we just don't understand the impact that this is going to have on our futures. And certainly, as I said, information-centric jobs, which have largely been immune um, to things like globalization or automation, I think they're going to go through a pretty rough phase. Um, mm -hmm. So I do think it is troubling, um, but I also don't feel like progress can be stopped. And so a certain element of embrace it, see where it takes you is really, really, um, you know, is, is important. Um, but yeah, I think it's like troubling at many different levels. But there's also opportunity at many different levels. Um, and at least as far as things like Neva or the work that I do, it's like you 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 embrace, you're realistic about it. I'm not, I'm not one of these people that's going to come and say like, AI is going to create billions of jobs. AI is going to solve world hunger. Like no one knows. Give me a break. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. Very true. And from from your standpoint of just of your place in, in this, this craziness of AI, you opted to take on one of the biggest giants in in tech as far as Google search. You know what I mean? I mean, that is yep. no small feat, obviously. Now, I've used Neva. Uh, I had it as my my browser for a few days, and it's incredible. I mean, it's it really is what you say it is. It is ad-free. It is just, it's very straight to the point, I would call it, and in a, yep. in a great way. What, you know, I know you said that you thought that it was too ad-heavy and all that stuff, but how did you come to the decision to go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a stab at this? Yeah, I mean, you know, like people like ambitious problems. Uh, I'm also like a student of innovation. I know the things that have worked and the things that have failed. Uh, and uh, differentiation is, uh, is, is important. Um, and uh, I'm also like, you know, bluntly realistic. Um, if, for example, um, you give me like 
an environment in which I could have predicted that large language models would be where they are, you know, we might have decided to try and take on the problem of search in a different way and say like we are building an answer engine. It's not really about ads. Um, we reached the decision to be customer funded and ad free almost from like a, a purity perspective of we said we need alignment of mission. Uh, we didn't want to be distracted by ads. We want to focus on like the simplicity of the experience, which is what most people that use Neva after a while, they're like, you know, this is just like calmer, easier, better. Like it's Ezra simple. Pine. It's very, very yeah, simple. It's and it's, but it's not basic, but it's simple. Yeah. yeah. It's simple. Yeah. People like that. Um, and, you know, we went with that as a differentiation. But I'll also tell you, like the first three years of Neva were also a struggle to stand out. Um, you know, perfectly like tech savvy people um, would uh, say, you know, if we ask them, what do you use to search? They will, with a straight face, tell you things like, oh, I use Safari. And you're like, what? Um, uh, you mean like you use Google? They're like, no, Safari. Oh, you mean like, oh, Google, oh. And then something clicks in their head. And so just to make them even aware that like a search engine is a choice that they are making, um, that, that part is hard. Getting people to switch just on the basis of the ads-free experience um, has been hard. Um, in a weird way, things like subscription, once people feel see the value, um, is less difficult. Just convincing a lot of people to switch over has been, uh, has been difficult. Um, but we are pretty excited by, like, you know, AI answers are a very clear differentiator. So we are very clearly in the news. The other thing that all of this, um, you know, like excitement in AI is doing, it's opening up a lot of other kinds of product and business opportunities for us, whether it is people wanting to buy our crawl table so that they can train LLMs or wanting to use a search API or publishers realizing that unless they offer a great chat-like experience on their own content, people are just going to get it from Google. So we're talking to a lot of publishers essentially to create like a publisher chatbot. Imagine mm -hmm. a search box on New York Times in which you like talk to the New York Times. You ask a question, it'll say, yeah, we wrote this article yesterday. It was written by, you know, um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was written by Ezra Klein or, you know, Jessica, um, uh, Jessica Powell. Uh, and then you can have follow-on questions. And to me, that's like a big um, takeaway. So there's lots of opportunities that come as a result of all the hard work that we have done um, with search. Um, but uh, just this focus on the user being an answer engine puts us in a good place because the experience is just, it's simple, it's a joy. Yeah, it is. And I, I, I wanted to talk about uh, GIST as well, the, uh, which is the, the app, uh, basically the Neva yeah. app, right? And I, I used it for a variety of things and I, I, I loved it. I honestly did. And I'm not even just trying to say it because you're here. I mean, yeah, I really, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a big sports guy and I'll be sitting there watching a game and I'll be like, oh, where did that guy used to play or where did he go to college? And I'll look yep. it up. I mean, just is so easy. I mean, it's just like you just click it in and you just, you slide. There's basically slides that you go yep. through and you, and you look at everything. What, what was... Where where did that idea come from? Because it's very very different from any other any other search that you're going to have. You want to hear you hear a funny story? I would love to. Just came before our Neva AI answers. Um, so the way we thought about this was, um, you know, like we have the search engine, we have crawled, we have the contents of all of these pages. We were like uh, um, middle of last year. You're like, yeah, we think we can like summarize pages pretty well by building these large language models. 
And then one of somebody in my team, not me, said, how about we write like a single answer that is going to take into account all of the web pages that are relevant to this query. And I was kind of like, eh, yeah, yeah, nice try. Um, you'll never get it working. Um, and so we started working on just because middle of last year, our belief was that we could do page level summaries, but we could not do like these fancy, what we call a crosstalk summarizer, which takes in the context from six different documents and writes out like one single fluid answer, carefully citing where it gets what concept from. It looked like an impossible project six, seven months ago. So just was more our visualization of, okay, let's make search fun on mobile. Like even with the chatbots, we could see there's a wall of text. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, instinctively you're like, oh, dude, it's 2023. Like, do I really need like a giant wall of text? Right. Um, right. And so we were like, ah, we can make you flip through pages. We drew our ins you know, inspiration from things like story um, where we are like, okay, fine. You ask a question, we will give you uh, great summaries of all the pages that matter. So we wrote like, we, we, come up, we came up with different kinds of large language models to deal with different kinds of pages. And we're like, we can do a tap, 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 tap experience. And by the way, it's a very, you know, age thing. Um, uh, if um, not to be ageist or something, but if you're less than 20, you'll look at that experience and go like, yep, I get it. Like this instant, it clicks in people. Um, while, you know, people that are a little bit older, they go like, they will try to swipe the page. They're like, ah, what is this? Like, is it to go to the next one? What do you mean I tap? Um, so that's like a fun thing well, we decided to, to keep tap. it because there's simplicity. It, it tells you to tap. <laughs> I can't, I mean, it but says people, it right there. People still get a little confused. Um, yeah, I guess they're used to a certain thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, they're used to a certain thing. But that was it. And then what we did, and, and, and what, almost by accident, um, after GPT-3, after ChatGPT came out, like we were all in a frenzy end of the year. You know, like my poor family, we decided to go to Florida for a week. But I'm like reading research papers and tinkering around with stuff the whole time because I'm like, oh, we got to launch, we got to launch. Um, and so we had a breakthrough in like literally the last week of December um, where we were like, ah, we can actually do cited answers that are fluent, that are believable. And so that was the aha moment that launched Neva AI um, on like on our flagship search product uh, on, on the web. Um, and then we obviously said we need to have that answer also in GIST. So just even though it started way before Neva AI actually is coming out now because Neva AI just like launched in a hurry early January and then the entire team was swarming on it for six weeks because there was so much low hanging fruit in terms mm -hmm. of improvements to be, uh, to be made. Um, but at its core, um, like Neva just is an experience of um, make things visual, make things easy to consume, make things modern. And so if you want to share like three pages, we want to make it super easy for you to say, share, pick like three, three of those screens and just send it off to somebody. Um, we wanted it to be like really that easy, that, um, that interactive. And you're exactly right. The kind of use cases are, wait, wait, wait. I, uh, I've seen this person on TV somewhere before. I think they were in this movie. Their yep. name is Sarah. Sarah. And then you go like, ah, okay. I got, you know, I got the whole context. Um, so for you know things having to do with people, having to do with recent events, or something that you just want to like casually browse, uh, you know, it's queries like interval running or it's queries like whatever fun places in Italy, um, where the combination of like three sentences plus a picture plus the ability to quickly consume it, right. um, just you know, it makes search fun and modern again. Yeah, and I think too, like at least I can only speak for myself, but. 
when I'm when I'm searching for things on my phone, it is always that it's something I need to know something quick or I have a quick question. It's probably not super important, but like I want to know at the yeah. moment. If I have real research to do, I'm gonna get on a desktop. That's just me. That's how I am. That's right. And That's so, right. That's right. You know, when you you know, admittedly, you know, going to Google on my phone is sometimes like you're kind of like doing this a little bit. You know, I mean, I, I'm getting older, my <laughs> eyes are gone, but you know, it's 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 different. It's a different experience, and I think that that's. For me, that's where the value truly is, is it's, it's, it's that it's so, you're right about it being fun, but it's just, again, kind of like Neva, it's simplistic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and it, you know, and so many times that's all you're looking for. You want like a little bit of context, you want some visual cues, um, uh, you want to be able to quickly share, a, you know, like a picture somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's, it's the accessibility um, that uh, it brings that's just been, it's been, it's, it's like fun to watch. And it's also fun to, you know, like my younger son goes to college. When I show it to, uh, when I show it to friends, they'll be like, "Ah, this is this is cool." Yeah, I'll bet. So, uh, you're it's a, you know going back going back to the Neva platform. The it's it's a subscription based. Obviously, yep. that's a big difference from what people are used to. People are used to getting yep. all their information for free. How how has the response been? from people either when you when they first realize that it's subscription based or even after they've tried it like what has the response been like so we are open about uh, you know the product being a premium product yeah um and at this point we are not like we are not super aggressive about like pushing the monetization our focus is generally on 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 user growth um and uh um, and you know, people like our conversion rates are like three four percent, which I'm actually quite happy sure. um, quite happy with. Um, I would say um, the biggest thing that we focus on as a team is just top of funnel growth. Is getting lots of people uh, to try Neva. Um, and as I said, when it comes to making money, obviously 2023 is way like money is a lot more expensive today than it was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so you know we do worry about that. Um, but there are just a ton of other kinds of call it like, you know, B2B opportunities that are very aligned with our business, whether it's a search API or whether it is the crawl table um, that uh, we are pretty, uh, that we are pretty, uh, you know, happy to talk to folks about. We want to support a healthy ecosystem. Um, And uh, um, so overall, I'm feeling much better about our ability to monetize. And we have not even begun to tap into things like how do we sell to enterprises? How do we make it truly useful? For them, and so I just feel like there is a lot to be built if we can get consumer momentum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With, with an increased emphasis on user privacy and data protection, how do you guys ensure that user data remains secure, and what steps does the platform take to minimize data collection while still delivering personalized results? Um, yeah. So by default, we don't keep any uh, any search history for user. If you set up a new account. Um, your search history is not associated with your account, uh, which means that even if law enforcement comes and says like, hey, who's been running these kinds of queries? Uh, the answer is like, we don't know. Uh, and uh, when it comes to personalization, uh, so that degree of anonymization is basic in the system. There literally is no place where we log. We basically will not log your user ID uh, anywhere. Uh, and so okay. there's like, you know, there's no way to, there's no way to know. Uh, we also have always, uh, done things like uh, plot out like the uh, last eight bits of your IP address. As you know, an IP address is a dead giveaway for your home location. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've never uh, logged things like that. Similarly, when we use third-party services, um, we don't send IP addresses, we don't send headers. Uh, so the basic level is like we don't collect information. 
because uh, that's not our business model. Um, uh, and then um, when it comes to personalization, um, we put you back in charge. We basically say, uh, Kevin, if you like the New York Times, uh, our Fox News, doesn't matter, uh, over some other news source, that's fine, you indicate it. So we do coarse grain personalization uh, where people indicate their choices. We give that control back to them. Um, and then that information is stored against your, against your account, but it is something that you provided willingly and that lets us personalize your experience. Um, so it's, it's very much, you know, serve the user, uh, put them in charge uh, and make sure that, you know, any reasonable person looking at our defaults um, is going to be like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like we don't collect fine-grained location from your phone. We don't send it to anybody. Um, we, don't, uh, we don't log IP addresses. Uh, so we set up the defaults in such a way that they, like, as I said, any, any reasonable person will say like, okay, those are, those are good defaults. Um, you can turn on search history if you want. If you're like, hey, I want to make sure that queries that I do on desktop are available for autocomplete when I start typing on mobile, that's your choice. We have mm -hmm. the functionality. It's up to you whether you want to use it or not. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship is full of challenges and uncertainties, obviously, especially in the rapidly changing world of AI. Can you share any obstacles or setbacks you faced while co-founding Neva and, and how you overcame them? Startups are just really hard. Uh, I personally think that uh, we tend to romanticize all the good aspects of a startup. Uh, you know, uh, startups are very hard. Startups are very lonely. Uh, and, uh, you know, like uh, I, I tell people, uh, very lonely, very lonely. Um, and uh, I tell people, first, first, first rule, uh, our first piece of advice that I'll give you if you want to think about a startup, uh, make sure you have a co-founder. Uh, it's really important. Uh, and th that needs to be like an equal trusted partner um, because, uh, you know, trust me, uh, you will typically be talking to them way more than you talk with your spouse. Uh, that's like the reality of a, uh, of, of a startup. Um, and, uh, and sort of uh, ideally a co-founder um, where your interactions produce the best of you um, rather than the worst of you is especially important um, because um, you know, you, you're going to go through many ups and downs. And so you don't want it to be the case that like your relationship dynamic works such that if one of you is down, then both of you are down. You sort of want much more of a, you know, a person that can balance you out that says like, hey, it's fine. You're off today. You know, you should, you should sort of keep at it. That would be like, you know, that would, that would be the first thing. Um, and then the second one would be, um, you know, like looking back um, on my experience at the experience of, uh, you know, my friends, I would say that enterprise startups, um, like, you know, uh, uh, startups that, you know, cater to other businesses uh, are a little bit more rational uh, than, uh, uh, than consumer startups. I'll come to the consumer startups in a second. Um, because with enterprise start startups, um, you're dealing with businesses, you're dealing, you know, there's a clear utility that you have to deliver uh, people will tell you whether something you're working on is a problem or not. Um, and then other people that will give you good, helpful advice, like shamelessly ask for money from day one. If someone's not willing to give you money, they don't really care that much about the, um, about the problem. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like I would say, the process of an enterprise um, startup is a little bit easier. Of course, there are other problems. Often enterprise startups will get caught in tiny problem areas and they'll be like, oh my God, I can't create a venture company. So the predictability of problem solving sometimes is accompanied by the, by the double-edged sword of is the problem that you solve large enough to be 
you know, interesting to create a um, big company. Uh, yeah. I would say consumer startups are like, honestly, I worked on one for four years. I worked on many of these, you know, products at Google. There is an element of arbitrariness to them that is just like, it's, it's hard to fathom. Um, and, uh, you know, you can ask uh, Sam uh, and, uh, about ChatGPT and ask him like, dude, did you predict that ChatGPT was going to be this big? I can guarantee, I've not asked him that. I can guarantee you he's going to say like, eh, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. Just launch something. It caught fire. I have no idea. Um, and so I would say consumer startups especially are, are very tricky. And they're the best piece of advice that I can give is like, make sure you're doing consumer. St- I think consumer startups are a game for younger people, um, meaning that like maximum change in consumer behavior happens when people are in like their teens and early 20s. And so to be a young co-founder is to like, in some sense, feel the spirit of the people that you are appealing right. to. Be able to relate uh, and so to them. You don't them. see a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like they innately, like there's a reason why Evan created Snap. It's like, you know, because he was that age group, he could feel what it is that that age group wanted. Um, and so I think that kind of alignment is, uh, is important. And finally, I would say like, just having a set of advisors that you trust um, or a board that, uh, you know, that you trust, all those are very um, important. Um, and uh, as a co-founder, uh, one of the, um, you know, one of the disturbing realities is that um, you will be asked uh, to deal with many jobs and many functions that you personally have like no expertise in. Um, and so you have to have a thick skin. You have to have a spirit of just trying um, and failing. Uh, I tell people that a primary qualification for being a startup CEO is to accept looking like a fool, like depressingly often. Like you just have to take that. That's par for the course. And and you have to say like, it's okay. The other, other day, my team is like, Hey, Sridhar, we're thinking like we'll go for a K-pop lesson. You won't come, right? I go like, yeah, I'll come. Um, they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I look like a fool quite often. It's like, you know, if I'm going to do that again, I don't really care. Let's do it. <laughs> How'd that go? The K-pop lesson? It's coming. It's coming. I oh, think it's, it's coming. All right. We're going to yeah. have, ba- have to have you back on here talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of our listeners are product engineers, engineers, coders, you know, and Obviously, the landscape is 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 changing. When you think about your ideal engineer that you would want to bring on, like what what is who is that person? What makes a great engineer in in this AI landscape? I mean, I I don't think the um, uh, AI landscape uh, like changes the answer in a dramatic way. Um, but the qualities that uh, and the base qualities that I um, that that I look for um, are uh, drive and a willingness to learn and adapt. Like in all of the, those are the people that I want to work with. Those are like qualities that uh, I'm kind of like I'm not compromising. You know, uh, so I ask people like you know tell me tell, tell me something that you tried um, and ideally just like failed at uh, recently. Uh, and so that willingness to go take that risk, to go like learn uh, to me is, uh, is, really, uh, is really important. And I have a never ending list of like stuff that I have tried and sort of succeeded and stuff that I've like spectacularly failed at. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, you know, I'm going to switch from the QWERTY keyboard to the Dwarak keyboard. I probably spent like 300 hours and a year trying and it was, it was a miserable failure. I just went back to QWERTY. 
Um, you know, and there's no lesson to be learned here, which is like, I thought it was a worthwhile challenge. I thought I'd get faster at typing. It didn't work out. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, fine. You, you sort of deal with it. So the, the basic qualities are drive, um, willingness to learn. Um, and there are things about, uh, you know, an, an engineer that I look for, um, which are, uh, which again, you can apply to other areas, um, which is to like, you know, plan at a high level and say like, you know, here is how I break down a problem that I want to solve, uh, but execute at the detail of like, okay, now this is how I actually go about, you know, go about doing something. Um, you know, Reed Hoffman uh, gave me this advice in a different context, um, which was roughly like, um, you know, plan your work and work your plan. And so mm -hmm. and that, that's a basic important skill um, for an engineer, uh, which is like, they are able to predictably um, like predictably get things, uh, you know, things done. Um, I think when it comes to, when it comes to AI and large language models, um, the, the way I would apply the qualities that, you know, I talked about here is like, you know, at one level, it's like, it's not magic. You can, you, you can learn what these models do. You can, in fact, like, you know, train these models yourself or take one that is off the shelf and just start using it for some application. You'll be shocked by the number of people that are just like afraid, literally, uh, to go download a model from Hugging Face, rent themselves a GPU on Lambda Labs or AWS, and go just like run some problem. Um, it's a weekend's work for a competent engineer, uh, but people will have like this mental block of like, oh, oh my God, like it's a, you know, I have to figure out how to use a GPU or how to do this or how to do that. That willingness to try, um, that willingness to just like learn and iterate is especially important now where there are basically like leaps, um, you know, being made in capabilities. What you knew about LLMs last year is not really that applicable. I'm like blown away. I've not been watching for the last two months and I'm blown away by how much better image models have gotten. Um, so I would say yeah. that is a really important quality, especially now when there is so much changing. It's the willingness to say like, trust yourself, say, I know how these things are supposed to work. Yes, they have changed. I'm going to go try them out. I'm going to make myself like get up to speed in an area that I've not been watching, you know, watching as much. Um, and I'm going to figure out how to apply it to the things that I need to solve day to day. There's a lot of uh, talk out there about the the new prompt engineer uh, that everybody's uh, everybody's after. I saw an article uh, that one company was paying like 300 plus thousand dollars a year. And everyone was like, oh, my God, I got to be a prompt engineer. This is amazing you know, that got people's attention. But, you know, some people think it's it's something that everyone's going to have to learn over, you know, in the next, even, you know, 10, within 10 years or less. Other people say it's going to be obsolete before you know it. Where where do you kind of stand on that? Is, is a prompt engineer a legitimate thing or is that going to be kind of a flash in the pan? I don't have depth here. Um, I am skeptical that it is a, um, you know, like, a real, uh, I, I'm skeptical that it is a skill uh, that has like structure that can be learned um, uh, and taught in like a, uh, you know, in a nice way. Um, there are, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, they're, they're clear that doesn't mean that there are not insights uh, that one can learn. Uh, I was amazed by what my team was able to achieve with prompt, uh, uh, with, with prompt engineering. As I said, our breakthrough in, uh, in creating um, these cited answers was a prompt engineering breakthrough. We had to like prompt the models in a specific way 
and lo and behold, they started generating, uh, you know, generating citations. Um, and there are funny things like uh, um, if uh, uh, if if you tell a model think logically step by step, just adding that sentence uh, seems to produce like more rational results than not having that uh, you know having that sentence. Um, you know, in fact, like uh, that particular it's actually a paper by the way. It's a twenty-page paper um, that says. Uh, Zero like zero shot prompt engineering with like this prompt produces better answers. And I was furious when I read it. I was like, "You guys wrote a twenty-five page paper that says like like basically say think logically step by step." And I even um, like wrote something mocking where uh, I, I I claimed that I wrote a I wrote a new paper abstract where I claimed that if you said you know uh, here kitty kitty um, uh, nice kitty the model will produce better output. <laughs> I showed it to my team. <laughs> um, I showed it to my team, and they actually believed it. They were like, "Oh, Sridhar, where They're like, "Oh man, I, I, didn't, I never thought of that. That's brilliant. <laughs> That's awesome." Uh, and then I wrote, I, I wrote the abstract. Uh, I wrote an abstract for it where I said the reason you know the models behave this way is because there is a preponderance of cat literature, uh, and if you train the model on dog literature, you can say, "Here, doggy, doggy, nice doggy," and it'll produce the same results. Nice. Obviously, that wasn't true. Right. Um, you know, there are aspects of it that are common sense. There are aspects that feel a little bit voodoo. As far as I'm concerned, I think the jury is out. This does not mean that there are not a bunch of like, you know, useful tricks that we should like all know about. Absolutely, we should we should know about them. Um, but as I said, that doesn't quite create like a discipline or a science mm -hmm. just yet. Uh, stay tuned. And isn't there a, couldn't you imagine a situation where kind of like autocomplete that a prompt can be autocompleted, where if you start to get somewhere, they'll figure mm -hmm. out a way to complete that? I mean, that would kind of take that out, wouldn't oh, it? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And by the way, that is actually a fairly common technique. Um, I don't know if your listeners have struggled to generate like great images. Um, and uh, uh, one, one neat trick that someone told me um, was to use a language model mm -hmm. to generate a prompt um, that you then feed into a diffusion model or like some other kind of image generation model. Uh, so what you're saying is, uh, uh, wait, shouldn't a large language model translate my like my idiot speak into the right prompt incantation? The, if the they're perfect so clever, prompt for mid-journey. Yeah. Exactly, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, it's a rapidly evolving field, but you know, that's like the fun of it. We can have these theories, we can get like useful utility out of these things. Um, and uh, have a here kitty kitty joke uh, to say along the way. So, <laughs> I wanted to ask you quickly about uh, the 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 big letter that came out. We're recording this on April fifth. Last week, yep. the nonprofit Future of Life Institute published an open letter calling for a six month pause on AI development. At the time of this recording, it was signed by I believe uh, almost twelve thousand people, including Steve Wozniak and and Elon Musk. What, what was your reaction when you first heard about this? I don't buy it. Um, like really, wait six months and do nothing. Like people mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. Uh, and What's everybody going to do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, like you know, who is the arbiter of deciding that this is six months or three months or twelve months? Um, and what are these people going to be doing? Um, and what is the incentive? for someone to like not quietly work in their basement yeah. on this for the next six months yeah. while professing that they're saving the world by like not working. Every, but every uh, product engineer would be doing that. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, 
there are like things that make sense and things that don't make sense. Um, it is one thing to say, hey, let's create a data set for safety. Um, or uh, let's create these sort of other, uh, you know, other things that people can follow um, when it comes to things that they, these models should and should not do. You know, at the end of the day, there's only like whatever, 10 groups or so, maybe a dozen that can train the two, three, 500 billion parameter models. Maybe they should come up with a set of rules um, that they will agree to um, that are generally accepted. Um, things like that seem a lot more rational uh, than you know a group saying, pause AI research for six months. And the cynic in me is also thinking, wait, these are the people that are actually behind in AI was, research? Uh, was, so that, that they're all like, question. ah, let everybody pause, let me catch up. That's Apple, Elon, like, yeah, it's not people that are currently players in the market in the in the in the AI world. So yeah. Yeah. I'm not even saying that, but I'm just saying like rationally, something like this, absent any structure um, for what we should do with this time, uh, uh, you know, or things like these are the broad directions we should take, uh, just they don't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I the, agree. and like the incentive uh, to not like, as I said, to either pay lip service uh, or to just ignore it are just very, very high. Um, there are like reasonable things that we can do and like, you know, um, like unreasonable things that we should not ask. It's like, it's a little bit like signing a declaration um, that will roughly say like, you know, everybody that's richer than $10 million should like give their money up um, for the welfare of the common people. 10 million seems like a lot. Like good mm -hmm. luck with that. Yeah. I don't have it. I don't have 10 million. <laughs> uh Final question before I let you go. What what are you most excited about when it be, when it comes to the possibilities of AI? What what area do you think will have a, like the biggest positive impact, or are you hoping will have the biggest positive impact? Super pedestrian man. Um, I just think that the uh, you know like all the rigidity of the various horrible forms that you and I deal with on the internet on our phones where like, you know, that, 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 that box where you enter um, your social security number will barf at you if you don't put the minus, um, you know, in between, in between digits or uh, the form that is four, four levels deep in workday that you have to navigate to if you have to report your, like your paid time off. To me, um, a simple but powerful dream that large language models can make, uh, you know, can like make into reality is a much more fluid, flexible interface for um, just interacting with software systems where you go like, yeah, I'd like to like take three days off from blah to blah. Um, and the system comes back and says, uh, okay, this is the official thing that I'm going to do. Is this fine by you? Say yes, if you want. And like, boom, you don't have to navigate it. Similarly, to not have to go to like Southwest and to whatever, Google Flights or Kayak to check for the flight to Austin um, because there is a little agent that will go to both of these sites, get the information. You go like, I'm thinking of going to Austin uh, on April 17th. And it goes, okay, these are your three options. And then mm -hmm. you just pick from the option. And by, it's like, this is pedestrian stuff. All the underlying infrastructure is there. The language capability is there. Um, just making these things work seamlessly would be great. Similarly, on the phone, I sure to God hope that Apple would release like an AI in which you can be like, hey, um, open my calendar and 
click on the Zoom button and actually fire up the Zoom. Not mm-hmm. rocket science, but right now you sort of have to like tinker and God help you if you want to take like a piece of text from your email and paste it into another form on a different app. You know, you can't do totally. it. Yeah. Um, just like dumb, simple stuff like that. Yeah, um, even like I'm the really Hey Google and Ask Siri stuff is is just kind of painfully like, inefficient. But they're all single applications. Mm-hmm. Like you can never say, hey, Google, go find the whatever, the itinerary for my My phone trip. just turned on when I said, hey, Google, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> find, the, find the itinerary for my trip to New York. Uh, and go check the status of the flight. It's like, eh, you can't do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's all like single things. And so as just like these input-output agents, if they can make our life better, um, I think that's super cool. There's a lot more to come. But as I said, mine is almost like a pedestrian vision of like, ah, I just make life simpler, easier. Hey, that's, that's a good vision. I like that vision. <laughs> <laughs> the website is neva.com. The app is called Gist. Uh, G-I-S-T. Both are well worth checking out. Sridhar, thanks for being here. Thank you, Kevin. This is such a fun conversation. And thanks to everyone watching and listening. Until next time, stay curious, stay creative.